Welcome to the sixth episode of the Eastern Renaissance Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always for our 250th episode together is the Canadian who hides whenever he hears the voices of anyone he knows, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We are back to our normal Sunday recording schedule, which is nice. Gives us a little bit of um, little bit of speed between actually watching the episode and um, and talking about it. Not that there's much to talk about. You know how some people, when they talk about their favorite shows, or their shows that aren't as much of a favorite of theirs anymore, and they say, oh, you know, this episode, like shows that get, get into their later seasons and say, oh, this episode was a real snoozer. Well, this last episode truly was a snoozer for me because I watched it after I was, I had, I, had a, I had a long day yesterday. I went to a baby shower and then I had to teach for about 11 hours. Yeah, I think I taught about 22 different kids. And then I watched Vidim and the episode bored me so much that I actually fell asleep for about 20 minutes of the 55 minutes running time. And, and I, I woke up. And I'm like, oh wow, um, how how is the second person already being executed? I don't remember a quiz. I don't remember the final wrap up to the challenge. So I remember I would fall asleep for two ten minute spots is what I discovered. So I had to backtrack that after I saw the second execution, and then I watched through it. And I'm thinking, this is why I fell asleep. This episode truly qualifies as a snoozer because I snoozed through it. <laughs> Do you remember last week when I said that the three potential options for how this episode was going to go down was either they get it over with really quickly and then we have then an execution, then we have another couple of challenges, or they maybe do the end of the challenge and then the execution and then one more challenge and then the execution, which all, or it rolls into the finale. Or alternatively, they could spend the entire episode on the conclusion of this challenge and it will be an utter ball fest. Guess what happened, guys? We don't go in on mole seasons very much. I will be perfectly honest, there is only one mole season I know that I have gone in on on these podcasts. This this episode was, I would say, the most boring mole episode we have ever talked about. It's so boring, Logan doesn't have a single note. Because I figured it's just very general observations I have about this episode and who our final suspects are heading into what could be the finale, which is another subject to talk about that annoys me. Yeah, but I mean, I remember the main headlines for this episode. We could just cover it right now and say, uh, "It's a ten-minute episode." <laughs> yeah, it's. I just don't have too much to, because I I did the math afterwards. Most Vidim episodes have a running time of about sixty-one minutes, I think. Yeah, somewhere between about sixty and sixty-five normally. Yeah, this one the total running time was fifty-five minutes. Which I, when I saw it, I'm thinking, this is really short for Vidim or Belgi. I don't recall a single time they've ever been. I think the shortest episode I could recall off the top of my head was 59 minutes. But 55, I'm thinking, oh no, do they just only do this one? It's not even one full challenge, it's half of the challenge. <laughs> we get to see half of the challenge for the whole episode. And what makes it even worse is that. There's no fun scenes or even a smaller game leading up to the quiz. It's just as soon as the challenge ends, two of the duos, the two uh, coalitions briefly share information, and then bo- both coalitions take the quiz, and we go straight into the execution. 
So it, it really is just challenge half or pardon me, half a challenge quiz execution for 55 minutes. I think if I hadn't been warned that it was just going to be the rest of the challenge all episode, then I would have been a bit more annoyed when I watched it. Thankfully, someone did warn me on uh, on Instagram last night that it was literally just the other half of the challenge. But it is glacially paced. It is so slow. Well, I did the math too on it. It was, it was what, six? We got to see the last six hours, right? They fast-forwarded to the final final five hours and 47 minutes of the challenge, I think. And about 45 minutes of the episode is dedicated to what happens in a five-hour and 47-minute time period, which is a huge percentage for reality TV. So, previously, the final six had to direct each other around Pisa, but after Nikki and Tico disappeared, the other four had a bigger task, finding them within a day, or two of the four of them would go home. And we ended the episode with them finding out that they need to go to the island of Elba. And I love how Rick doesn't even acknowledge the first challenge of last episode. He does not want to talk about the boxes on the beach challenge. It's just completely forgotten. And something I do have to mention before we actually start this episode proper, I know we've already ranted for ten minutes is that this is actually our 50th episode that we've recorded this year. Obviously, it's not the 50th released yet, but it is the 50th one we've recorded as a team this year. Awesome. We're productive. So it's um, it's a small positive for this really boring episode, I'll be honest. Does it count as a full episode podcast when we're probably going to be done in about 15 minutes? It's a half podcast, but my spreadsheet doesn't go to halves, so we're just doing full numbers. Round up. Yeah, it's essentially the podcast equivalent of adding a uh, a challenge with 1,222,050 euros. So, I mean, one one thing we have to give production credit for is no idea like this has ever been attempted. And it's an all-star season. Like when when you have an all-star season, you're allowed to experiment with certain twists to see if they'll work out because all-star seasons are gimmicky to begin with. So, yes, they're allowed to do a twist like this where they have a really elaborate full-length challenge that takes over a day to complete. So I applaud them for trying to experiment to see how this would play out. Unfortunately, it should be a twist that should never, ever, ever be repeated. (laughs) Yeah. Kudos to production for trying this twist, but not kudos to production for realizing why they shouldn't have tried this twist. They really wanted to go full out with an adventure task, and this is really outside of the usual budget for Vidim. They don't incorporate a long helicopter ride, give teams a stipend to get by for a couple days, (laughs) let them go out for dinner, and they let them win a huge chunk of money in this challenge. Yeah, the, the thing you've got to bear in mind is that this season is really short anyway. It's eight episodes rather than the normal ten. And we're not 100% whether it's actually going to be seven rounds of play. But they've only got enough challenges for seven of those eight episodes. So they just have to kind of work out a weird split where it ends up with this one being really glacially paced. And you don't exactly, out of the six people that are left, you don't have your best four to carry the episode. Because two of the characters we don't see... We don't see Nikki and we don't see Tigo for... It was really tough to not mention it to you, Michael, before you had a chance to watch the episode because I was thinking, 
you really notice Tigu and Nikki's absences when you're watching characters that are have are probably four of the more underedited characters of the whole season because we've lost Ellie Ellie Loose, who was always big on airtime. Horace usually got a big chunk of airtime. Uh, I guess those would be the two biggest characters that have been eliminated so far that previously had the most airtime. Those were the last two executions, I think. Yeah, as much as I obviously adore taking the piss out of Tico, Tico is a big character in any scene. For better or for worse, Tico is a big character. Nikki is a massive character in every scene she's in. Nikki is the centre of attention. Having those two people be basically locked in a cage for 45 minutes of a 55-minute episode is a bad production decision. And then after the challenge is over, you can't show them because they're both exempt. (laughs) They're both exempt and two other people are going home, so there's no reason. You can't really show Nikki and Tiga when you have huge stakes for what's about to go down in the final five minutes of the episode. Especially when you consider that it is looking increasingly likely that one of those two people is going to be the mole. But that's an argument we're going to have to have fairly soon, because I suspect one of those two people may be the mole now. So, Rick introduces the episode by saying that in Vista Mole, everyone does everything to find the mole, the saboteur, and stay in the game. The four who were left off the island of Elba want the double execution to be with six of them, but Nikki and Tico would rather be safe. But the question is whether everyone will forget that there is a mole amongst them. And as much as obviously we're going to moan about this episode a lot, I do quite like the split group photo. I like them playing with our um, our perceptions on that. And the episode title is Damocles, as in the Sword of. And we begin on day 12 proper in PMB with the group of four eating breakfast. Your own reminds us that if they don't find Nikki and Tigo, two of them will go home. And this is one of my absolute bugbears, especially recently, is them repeating in a confessional what we just got told 30 seconds beforehand. We're fully aware of that. And what's happened the entire second half of the previous episode. That's the crazy part, is that it's not even that one one challenge occupies an entire episode. It's that this challenge already occupied about 40% of the previous episode, and I guess if you want to include the prelude with with the drive to Rick that it's closer to 75% of the episode if of, of the of last week's episode if you include both both elements to the challenge because it's crazy to think that they had the that the drive they did last round was technically part of this challenge because that's how they get Nikki and Tigo isolated and then they get told hey now the time limit is 24 hours and we see what 16 or 17 of those hours play out last week and then this week, we get the final five and a half hours of the challenge, and they stretch it out to the full 45 minutes. And Euron also says that he got to the point where he'd rather do a six-person execution than find the money on the island of Elba. And we also learn that apparently Napoleon was poisoned by the wallpaper in his house on Elba. Maybe it's like Willy Wonka. The, s- the snozberries taste like snozberries. Oh no, the poison berries taste like poison berries. And they decide that they're going to go for clues first, and then money. There are two phones left over from the car challenge, so they will need to split up into pairs. And with just under six hours to go, they drive to the ferry. There is a storm brewing, and a noise scares them as they board the boat. Which really makes me laugh. This is some of the worst weather we've ever seen in the filming of Vidamore 
or any any mole season worldwide. I just think it's really, really funny that they've they've put these brilliant plans into place of having like Nicky and Tico flying over on a helicopter and having a a ferry ride, and then they get biblically bad weather. It's just awful, awful weather for them. Like, imagine if this had happened the day before and Nicky and Tico couldn't have flown in the helicopter. How the hell would they have got them to Elva? This is the third episode with really bad weather. Funnily enough, this is why you don't film in Europe in November. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, I think I, if I recall correctly, you pretty much avoid everywhere in Europe during November if you want to travel. It's slow season for a reason. <laughs> This is why we, when we were trying to think of anywhere in the world that we could go in in November this year, given that we can't fly anywhere really, we both kind of avoided this area of the world. Yeah, this is even if they waited till when when was I in Italy? And when I was there in February, and the weather was awesome. Hmm. I think you just got to get past November. It seems even Greece has really rainy weather in November. I was reading, and other and I think almost every country in Europe, it seems like. November's just the worst. <laughs> I mean, when Patrick's opening the door, he pretty much gets his arm ripped out of the socket by the wind. Or when they try to walk out onto the deck of the ferry. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. He he opens the door for everyone, and then as he's closing it, he just kind of gets dragged along with it like he's having a Trump handshake. And that is our banner for this week. I'm going to warn you now, because it did make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it made me laugh too. <laughs> and Peggy gets nauseous, and it doesn't affect Ron at all. That's literally the end of that scene. <laughs> Did the contestants have fun with this challenge, you think? I don't think so. I'll be honest, I don't think any of them particularly enjoyed it. <laughs> I wonder if it's just a mix of really, really bad weather and just... I mean, they're all Vidim veterans by now. I think Ron just earned that label. <laughs> but when you contrast to all the challenge they do, like the excitement they have for, say, the laser game, and all of these other really exciting, bustling challenges where you get to go around the villages and scramble for an hour here and there, and then you get to go back to your hotel and chill out or do who knows what. But here they're just stuck on ferries, nasty, trying to run around for five or six hours in nasty weather, figure out some of these puzzles, know that no matter what, they're going to have to participate in the double execution. I can see it not being the and the fact that they just drove across half of Italy the day before <laughs> probably didn't help things too much. I think it's a combination of the fact that it's been a really long day for them anyway, because they started with the second challenge in the farmhouse, then immediately went into the 24 hours and being told that they had the double execution. The stress of the potential double execution that was going to feature them regardless, and the stress of it being between the four of them if they didn't find Nikki and Tico, and then the stress of driving all day, for Peggy at least, to um, to get to Piambino, then having to try and work out the clues and find food and find lodging, and then wake up early in the morning, stress about actually what they were going to find that day, then making their way to the ferry, the ferry weather being terrible, the weather on the island of Elba being biblically bad, having to run around doing a challenge to even have a chance of finding Nikki and Tico, then being told that they didn't find Nikki and Tico in time, and then having to do a double execution. They would have been absolutely shattered by the end of that pair of days. Wonder how much rest they're going to give them after this execution, if it's, like, what, they're only, like, 15 days, 14 days into this? 
Uh, day 13, the execution was. Day 13, no. So, I mean, if next week's the final round of play, they could potentially be done in 14 or 15 days. And the fact that one challenge t- occupied a day and a half of that filming schedule. So, yeah, when they get to the island of Elba, we find out that this challenge is actually worth four and a half thousand euros, potentially. And I do love how they had to highlight the letters Elba in the challenge name, just in case we missed it. Because they highlight it in green. So, who ends up with the two phones? Euroan and Patrick? Yeah, so that's Euroan and Patrick. Both of whom carry a phone. I gotta say, Patrick trying to call the phone and then they hear the other phone in Euroan's pocket may or may not be one of my favorite facial reactions ever. <laughs> it was pretty close to being Albano this week, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> They're like, wait... Why is there a phone? There's, I don't see anyone nearby. Why is there another phone going off? Oh, shit. Imagine if Ellie was there. It's just the look of absolute abject terror on their faces, and then they just start absolutely wetting themselves. <laughs> well, because at that point, there's nothing they can do, really. It's like, yeah, we have the map, we have the two phones, and we have the easier route to go. And by the time they get to the island, Peggy also seems to be the only person who actually wants to get money in the challenge. And they decide to split up, with Peggy and Ron going to the harbour to pick up money and a tower for the clue. And Patrick and Euron to go to Fortestella for the clue. And a local asks Patrick and Euron if they got an umbrella, and says it's a bad idea to come to Elba without one. And Patrick just says, we're Dutch! And at Fortestella, Patrick and Euron find a bag of mole coins, each worth 50 euros, and a note saying you don't have to throw it in. And... I did notice that the map that they received the previous day was utterly ruined by the time that they get to the fort. Because of the rain? Yeah, it was falling apart by the time they were huddling under that entrance to the fort. It's a mixture of rain and sweat from them running around. (laughs) And in the fountain at the fort is a key, which they will need later, but sadly they miss. And at the Martello Tower, Peggy and Ron find a clock with 12 words. The place where six heads get together brings you closer to the solution. Patrick and Euroan then head to Villa Molini, Napoleon's house. Euroan's bag nearly knocks over a Napoleon statue, but they don't spot the bag of money that is perched underneath it. Patrick eventually spots on a second look, and it is more mole coins, each worth 100 euros this time. And Patrick also says it's very obvious to mole to know where you're looking, but not what for. And then, as you mentioned, Patrick rings the others, and Euron's pocket rings, because he has the other phone. And they absolutely start wetting themselves. <laughs> and then Peggy spots their first money bag underneath the bell with six heads. When you have the highest need, your saviour is near, is the note that they receive. And Patrick and Euron walk back to the square to see if Ron and Peggy are there, but of course they're not. And Ron tells Peggy to leave the money that they were going for, even though they have no idea of whether the other two are still going for it. Patrick and Euroan thankfully do check it anyway, and find another bag of money. They finally meet up at the harbour. Peggy says she's never been happier to hear Patrick's voice. You keep going. (laughs) I was going to say, it was getting to the point where you were probably going to be really sad to keep hearing my voice, so I thought I'd actually let you potentially check (laughs) it. Oh, no, you can do it. I have no other observation. I have one major observation for that I want to talk about with... Actually, let's just talk about that right now, because I... There's fuck all else to talk about with this challenge. <laughs> so, where did the saw come from for Nikki and Tigo? Like, was that were they working on this for hours and hours? Because I feel like that's a 
that's a detail that should have been explained to the viewers or and to the contestants at the start. Is that wherever Nikki and Tigo are, that they're given a saw to slowly work through the chains. I think it almost seems like they want the challenge to fail even more if they didn't plan on the saw initially and then suddenly, oh, let's give Nikki and Tigo a saw and if they escape, then they also get exempt. I'm thinking this just puts it too much into the there's too much of an advantage for Nikki and Tigo by giving them the saw. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to find out what the time frame was of Nikki and Tico's challenge here. Were they given a, like a strict two hours or whatever before the challenge ended? Because it seemed really easy for them to win it if they were just given a saw with six hours notice and go, you know what, guys, just free yourselves, you can get out. The other four bored us too much with this challenge. We want both of you to be in the final four, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, what it, that's how it came off to me. I'm thinking, you can't just give people an additional way to escape the challenge that wasn't specified beforehand. If this was Amazing Race, and I don't defend Amazing Race very often anymore, they would have been given like a stiletto with a block of ice and a key to the lock or something. They needed to get a little bit more creative than just say, here's a saw, work out how to cut through three chains with it, and you're free. That's a good point with Vidim and the mole in general, is that if they do add another element to the challenge... Rick is usually there to present it. It somehow fits in thematically with the challenge. There's also another dilemma involved, say, it can be a simple one like they use in the American version. Oh, if you use the saw to cut yourself out, uh, 2,000 euros is deducted from the pot. But just know you're taking 2,000 euros from the pot. Here's what I would have done. I would have given them an absolute fuckload of keys and said, you've got to unlock all three of these chains. Give them thousands of keys and two hours to work it out and see if they can work it out between them. Yeah, Saw just seems so, I don't know, just basic and just such a rushed idea. There's just so many better options on the table for that extra element that Nikki and Tigo could have done. Were they just complaining about being bored to production the whole time? Or production's like, here, here's the Saw, knock yourself out. I wonder, given how wet the floor of the cell was by the time that um, that Patrick actually reached it. I wonder whether the weather played into it, whether they'd thought of a brilliant challenge at Fort Falcone to really test them, and then because of the the howling wind and rain, it was miserable for them to even be in that cell, so they just broke glass for emergency saw. Because that saw just seemed like something the art department would have had lying around, and they just thought, let's just use this as a as a quick way to get rid of this. Let's reduce their time limit to actually get out, Let's just give them a sore and see what they can do. But the thing is, is that they didn't escape until the time limit anyway. No, it was, as we guessed last week, actually artificially quite close. We don't actually know how, how long they had after they ran off before um, before Patrick got there. Well, we know that it's at least that it was a 24-hour challenge and that they didn't escape until 23 hours and 51 minutes into it. Well, do we really, though? I know, but that's what the edit makes it seem to be. We don't know what else to go off on. Someone by the name of Logan Saunders hypothesized last week that they're going to make it seem a lot closer than it was. I happen to believe that maybe they escaped in the last hour, but it probably wasn't eight minutes before the end. Yeah. And then, well, I, I, I hope what wasn't misleading about the edit is that them not having that key and having to backtrack for 45 minutes for it is what truly made the difference. 
Yeah, I think it probably was, but I don't think it was nearly as close as they made it look. Well, Rick at the execution said that Nikki and Tigo escaped just in the nick of time. But is he doing that for the TV audience or to make the contestants feel better? I don't know. But I just I just hope that at least the whole key thing wasn't a big misleading red piece of ed- yeah, red herring, exactly. I want at least I want that to at least make the difference. <laughs> I think it was quite telling that we didn't have a clock on the screen when Nikki and Tico escaped. Like we did when the group got to the door and found out that they needed a key for it, or when they came back to the door with the key and got through it. It was telling that there wasn't a clock there. It was sometime between those things, but I don't think it was nearly as as close as they may have made it seem. It's the old Amazing Race adage of, unless you see them in the same frame, they're probably not there at the same time. I was thinking, what they really should have done for the challenge is, Nikki and Tigo escape from the cell... But the contestants can still try and spot them on the island. I think. I think just saying that because oh, the way the edit made it seem is that if Nikki and Tigo escape the cell, then they then they're exempt. Although no, they had to like run, try and hide somewhere, so that's not really it either. So they were allowed to be spotted. What they should have done is put laser guns at the top of the fort and said, "If you shoot Nikki and Tico, they're not exempt." Yeah, they could have done another extra thing like, oh, Nikki and Tigo escaped, now you have half an hour to try and track them down using these extra supplies. That would have been that would have been great, because then you have this whole suspenseful part of, okay, you did screw up with not finding them on time, but if you want two people to be exempt into the final four, they're going to have to work that extra bit harder uh, to evade you. And then say, if you catch Nikki and Tigo... 3,000 euros goes into the pot. However, maybe they did have something like that planned, but as we know, the weather was atrocious and probably made it not a possibility. Yeah, I wonder how much of a I wonder how much of an impact the weather actually had on this challenge. I think this challenge was probably hampered by the fact that the weather was so disgusting. And it's not the first cha- it's not the first challenge where they've had to run around in disgusting weather. <laughs> so they combine their clues to work out Fort Falcone, which is where Tico and Nikki are chained, and they have to sort themselves free. The door on either side of their cell is chained using the one attached to them. If they escape the cell, then they escape the double execution, and there is only, obviously, enough slack in the chains to keep the doors closed, so they do need to release all three in order to be able to escape. And with two hours to go at half ten in the morning, they head to the theatre where another clue awaits which is put everything in order to find the right spots and the silhouettes of Napoleon pointing at Nikki and Tico. And the really irritating thing is, we have no idea what the solution was for this. It certainly made it look like if they solved it correctly, a film would play, giving them a hint, but they work it out kind of by the highest point and the Falcon clue rather than actually the theatre clue. And it's really frustrating, we never find out what the, the clue was meant to be. If only they had enough air time to be able to present that information. I know it's they were just rushing through everything in this episode. I had to sit down because of how rapidly paced it was. It was really weird. So inside the theatre, there are some cards on the chairs. Ron also finds some money hidden in the chairs. He speculates that they have to remember which seats they found money in in order to be able to solve the clue. Ron is really cursed by theatres. He really is. But Ron is also cursed by only four people being vulnerable for elimination, <laughs> which is something that really amused me and I didn't twig it last week. Ron went home in Georgia. Not in Georgia, though. Yeah. Ron went home in the Georgia season, 
when only four people were vulnerable to go home at the first execution. And it happens again here. He goes home in an execution where only four people are vulnerable. Three. No, four. Um, (laughs) It's not exactly the same as Georgia, where only three people were actually vulnerable. This time, four people are. So they ask the man in the theatre what the bird is in their clue. He doesn't know, but identifies Fort Falcone as the highest point. They then make the link of Falcon being the bird on the back of the clue. And Tico and Nikki hear the other four's voices and hide. They can't get to the fort, though, because they missed the key at the first location. And they've got an hour to find it and run back. Ron finds a clue in the theatre saying, is Napoleon the key to the story in one of the chairs? Peggy tries calling them, but of course they don't answer. Nikki and Tico manage to remove one of the chains, and they finally figure out the tactic with, like, 45 minutes to go. Patrick finds the key in the fountain by ignoring Yeroen, and spots the missed call, and they all head back to the fort. Nikki and Tico cut their second chain. Their key unlocks the small door on the fort with nine and a half minutes left, and Nikki and Tico escape their cell after cutting the third lock, and have to hide from the rest in the fort. They leave through the front gates and make their escape. Patrick finds their cut chains and realises that they're too late, and he says that he could hurt some people right now. And Nikki and Tico cheer that they are in the finale, both celebrate making it further than they did last time. And Nikki and Tico's escape means that the double execution will be between just the other four. They earned 3,400 euros of a possible 4,500 for the challenge and episode, and 11,510 of a possible 31,172 euros and 50 cents for the season so far. Not a bad percentage. Not a bad percentage. It is. It rapidly shot up thanks to this challenge. I guess production realized, well, we kind of have to make it easier for them to get money. And Patrick and Peggy form a mini-bond to try and get through the execution together. Yeroen says spreading is suddenly very dangerous, and he's going all in on Nikki. And then they drive themselves back onto the ferry, where the test takes place. It is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. The two people who know the least about the mole will go home. Except for the mole, who's gone home before, but can't go home this time. Nikki and Tico literally escaped the execution, so will be part of the final four. Patrick says he has only one suspect, which is Peggy. That's why he wanted to share a car with her. Peggy says you now can't spread. It's time to take a leap of faith. She suspects Ron, and that means it's a two out of three chance of leaving. Ron says it could be anyone. Patrick yelled down the mole at the beach. Yeroen put money away at the chains. It could be Peggy because she blames everyone else. It could be Tico because he's an actor. And it could be Nikki because she slows everyone down. And Yeroen suspects Nikki because she's quite vague and never participates. Everywhere she goes, weird things happen. Nikki and Tico get the Ellie Loose memorial chairs at the execution. Rick says that they escaped in the nick of time, meaning the double execution is between the other four. Patrick gets an instant red. He says, damn it, in English, and has to go right away. Tico looks genuinely upset that he went out, just as if Patrick had taken his last source of food. Yeroen gets a green screen before Peggy also gets a green screen, sending Ron home. And we didn't get to see his suspect, which is odd. Patrick went going all in on Peggy, and Peggy was safe going all in on Ron. And next time, Scrabble wine barrels, a mine train, and what appears to be a complete rehash of the challenge from episode one in the castle, but in an abbey this time. And there is actual confirmation of a final three. Okay. <laughs> so now the important bit where you can actually contribute instead of it just being 57 minutes of me talking again uh number one will everyone do all three challenges i think so i get the feeling we're gonna get the reveal at the end of episode eight 
because there's now two schools of thought. It's either reveal at the end of episode eight and there is no reunion, which I wouldn't be opposed to because, you know, there's a massive dearth of challenges this week. We need to actually bring the, the average back up. And the maximum pot is really, really, really low currently. And the other school of thought is that there's going to be one challenge with the four of them, then another execution mid-episode, then another two challenges, and then the V is the more find out next week moment, and then a reunion in week eight. Yeah, coronavirus sort of throws all that into doubt. Well, they still had the, the China reunion, didn't they? They just had a close set for it, which they could do again. Yeah, but that was before coronavirus became coronavirus, yeah. The thing that maybe points towards the latter is the fact that only the memory walk challenge is shown with all four people participating. We see absolutely nothing of the other two challenges and anyone participating in them. Yeah, I guess they still have to do the reveal and then the sabotage. It's like they never exclude that in any season, do they? No. It's just interesting that they still haven't actually confirmed whether there's going to be a reunion. Because there's absolutely no point um, advertising a reunion like they normally would because usually there's obviously people in in Fond du Parc to cheer on the um, the reveal. It would just be so depressing if next next week is the last round of play because that means one and a half of seven rounds of play was dedicated to one challenge. Yeah, the thing is, the maximum part now after six episodes is actually pretty much around the level that the average uh, Belgian mole winner takes home. That's nuts. <laughs> We're on €31,172.50 so far. And the pots, the, the pot that they could win is lower than what most American mole season pots are after one episode. Yeah, but to be fair, that's a maximum of a million dollars normally. You can't really compare those. <laughs> yeah. So China, after five episodes, was 31460 But that was halfway through their season. Yeah, that's what makes it tougher when there's, if there's only one round of play left. It's just such a low pot that they could possibly take home. The worst part about this double execution is that my top two suspects took the quiz and both of them survived. <laughs> I'm thinking that's just that's just nasty. <laughs> that does not help me at all. I think we're going to strongly disagree on the next question. Do you think the mole took the test? <laughs> I think so, and I and this is why. It would be a terrible production decision to sit out the mole for an episode and a half. It would, and I I do not disagree at all, but can you really make an argument after the rest of this season so far that there have not been some terrible production decisions? Because I can't. And also, this was by far the most lucrative challenge that they've had as a team, which suggests that nobody was actually moling. But there's a lot of moly things that happen, though. Yeah, but the thing is, as I said last week, the mole's main focus is keeping money out of the pot. The mole does not give two shits whether the double execution is is between four people and six people. They couldn't care less about that. The mole's sole focus, if they are in that team of four, is making sure money does not get in the pot. And the mole, if they were in that four, spectacularly failed at that aspect of their role. So the only logical explanation for me is that the mole was not in that final four. But then that means for an episode and a half, the mole wasn't in a position to keep money out of the pot. 
Which would be so lame. <laughs> it would, and I would not be shocked at all if that is what happened. That's what it boils down to. I cannot see how the mole could have been in that group of four when they earned so much money in that challenge. That is the most lucrative Vidim challenge for years. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, this episode just leaves a bad taste in my mouth from start to finish. And most of that was from my own drool from falling asleep. (laughs) In terms of solely money, they earned more in that challenge than they have earned in pretty much any other challenge in Vidim for... I'd say three years. But what about for an episode, though? This is what they earned for an episode and a half. I don't think... You can't really say, oh, this is the most money they earned for one challenge. Well, what if they do this twist again and it'll last for two and a half episodes? And there's one challenge that lasts two and a half episodes and they win five or six thousand euros. Of course they'll have to win that because it went on for so damn long. (laughs) Yeah, but it it was one challenge. They won more in that challenge than anything else. But you have to look at it as how much money did they earn over the span of an episode and a half? They earned 3,400 euros or for almost two episodes. Like an episode and three quarters, they earned 3,400 euros, which I think that would be close to being on par for Vidim. In this challenge alone, they earned 76% of the episode total. Regardless of how much was actually on offer, they earned 76% of the max they could have earned for both the challenge and the episode here. Yeah, I don't know. There's no easy way of looking at this. <laughs> it's such a mess. It's so it's so unor- unorthodox. There really isn't, because the two schools of thought, ironically actually represented by both of us, is the mole was in that cage, and it's Nicky or Tico, which does make a lot of sense because they earned a massive amount of money. But also, would they sideline the mole so much? I'm not sure, but Rick's intro at the start may have hinted at them doing that. Because what he said at the start was that everyone does everything to find the mole, the saboteur, and stay in the game. The four want the double execution to be with six people, but Nicky and Tico would rather be safe. But the question is whether everyone will forget that there is a mole amongst them. That strongly hints to me that the mole was not amongst them. Yeah. Anyways, my suspect. (laughs) Yeah, I will also give you a little favour, which is um, I've had a look at the percentages on the the app again to see who's actually um, suspected by the Netherlands. Not that that's very accurate normally. Uh, Nikki is on 31%, Yeroen is on 31%, Peggy is on 21%, and Tico is on 17%. So, ironically, it's pretty much a 50-50 split between the two groups on where the mole was. It's 49% in the cage and uh, 52% in uh, in the group of four. <laughs> Who is your suspect? You get one, given that we are definitely going to be down to a final three by the end of next week. Yeroen. I'm obviously going Nikki. Still, if my gut instinct in week one of it being Nikki was right, I'm going to be so smug. With Yeroen, the thing that tilted it this time was the fact that he was in possession of the second phone. He like Patrick was in possession of the phone that he thought was meant for his duo, but Yeroen was in possession of the one meant for the other group. Which is, it's tough to really pick out any moly actions in the past episode and a half, but that was the moliest thing. And Yeroen and Peggy were my top two suspects. I'm thinking, hmm, let's swap them out. Let's put Yeroen as number one. I just kind of can't see them preseason putting Yeroen as the mole. He was such a non-entity in his season. He's not the sort of person you guarantee making it to the end. Because that's what it boils down to with the choice. There's two questions in this sort of a season in theory. 
And it's one, who do you want to see potentially eight episodes of? And two, who would actually be a good mole and one that would surprise people? And that's why I've constantly been looking at Nikki this season, because Nikki is by far the biggest person in this cast in terms of star power generally, but also in terms of following. So you guarantee that all of her followers are going to be watching every episode as a result of her surviving every episode. But also, Nikki, I think, can definitely sneakily sabotage things from what we saw in Colombia. Yeah, it's a possibility. Could be Nikki. Could be Tigo. Could be Peggy. I'm not sure Nikki would be the most satisfying mole. Well, she was sidelined for an episode and a half. No, she's not going to be a satisfying mole. <laughs> Given she was sidelined for an episode and a half and she's always in the background doing stuff. But the thing that makes me think it could be her is looking back at who suspected who. Because we actually, surprisingly, for potentially a penultimate test here, get a really good indication of who suspects who thanks to this twist. It's the one benefit of this twist. So we had Patrick suspecting Peggy, and he was obviously wrong, because he went full ticket on Peggy. That's another reason why I dropped Peggy down in my suspect list. Yeah. Peggy suspected Ron, and she was wrong, but obviously we knew that it was it, we knew that it wasn't Ron anyway. Ron, we didn't get a concrete suspicion on, but I've been led to believe that he suspected Euron, and went straight ticket on Euron. But I might be wrong there. You never know what's wrong. Yeah, he's he's the only one we don't get a concrete answer on. And your own suspected Nikki. The thing is, going into the next test, Peggy has to change her suspect no matter what. So if Peggy changes her suspect to the mole, then she probably survives the next execution. If she doesn't, she goes home. It could genuinely now end up being, because it's Peggy and your If your is still on Nikki, if Peggy moves to Nikki, as a result of her being the next best suspect or whatever, and goes all in on it. And Tico, I think, has previously said he's suspecting Nikki. That means everyone is on Nikki, and it just is a straight fight between the contestants as to who goes to the final, which is how it really should end. You shouldn't end a mole season with no one knowing who the mole is. You've been tunnel busy on Nikki since episode one. Yeah, but the thing is, if I'm right about it being Nikki, you can never make jokes about me being tunnel busy on the wrong person ever again. (laughs) I'm going big in this season. So the one thing that... that they're going to have to do in this next episode is that if the mole was in the cage, whether it be Nikki and Tigo, they have to really sabotage every single challenge until the end of the end of the game. Yeah. The other little thing I do have to mention, I know we're massively overrunning what we expected to overrun on this episode, but if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about someone hypothesizing that we would see everyone's mole apart from the actual mole in the various challenges, because we've seen, I think it was seven out of the ten contestants' moles. We obviously weren't going to see Tina's mole because, you know, nobody knew that it was um, it was robbed by that point. Not even the, not even Tina knew it was robbed by that point. Well, yeah. That, yeah, that would have been a massive surprise for her, wouldn't it, if Rob just turned around and went, oh, it was you. Um, there's only two people whose moles we haven't seen yet in this final four, and that is Tico and Nikki... <laughs> And we do kind of get a strong hint that it is going to be the final old mole who turns around at the end of the Abbey Challenge next week. Both of their moles from their original seasons have the same kind of hair colour and profile and everything. So if it is one of those two people, then you can pretty much go straight ticket on it being the other person who is the mole and that clue being correct. I don't know whether it is. I couldn't tell from the brief glimpse we got of whoever the person with the bat to them um, in the, the Abbey Challenge was. 
But if it is one of the two women who it could be, then yeah, it's a pretty strong hint. Yeah, that would that one that one I would probably concede. <laughs> if if Tigo's or Nikki's old mole turns up, I will concede defeat. <laughs> if it isn't one of those two, though, then it's really weird the choices of old moles, and we're going to have to discuss that next week. <laughs> So, thanks to the eliminations this week, Michelle has lost her final candidate in Ron, eliminating her from the competition. I lost Patrick, my first loss of the season, giving me Nikki and Tico, and Logan still has Peggy and own. It's really interesting that at this point in China, when we got down to the final four, I had two people left and had just lost my first person, and Michelle had two people left, and my team contained them all. Just putting that out there now. In the first suspicions list, Tico is the only person more suspected by us than the group as a whole. Nikki is now dead even between the two groups on 1.64 out of a possible three. Logan's team is on an average of 1.59 for everyone apart from the three of us. Mine is on 1.41 and Michelle's is, as a result of her being eliminated, a big fat zero. However, when you add me, you and Michelle's predictions in, it actually is a dead split between us at one and a half points each. Ooh. Yeah, I know, it's getting twisty now. There are still nine people who submitted a first suspicions form that have their first suspects left in the game, including both me and Logan. Two people, me and April Bride 15, have their top two left. Sixth is the most likely place to have people's suspicions left, with ten people still having their sixth most likely suspicions left. Only two people's seven suspicions are still left, one for Euroan and one for Tico. So, the final question before we actually sign off this, who is going to be our fourth placer? Uh, Tico? Purely for comedy's sake, I would love it to be Tico, and him actually not being able to get to a final test. It would be just chef's kiss. It would be brilliant. I think it's probably going to be Yeroen, though. He's definitely been under-edited compared to the other three. And Nicky and Tico were stuck in a cage for an episode and a half. Yeah, it's tough to decipher what's going on with the edit. (laughs) My gut feeling assuming we're going to get absolutely no reveal next week, is that Nikki is the mole, Peggy is the winner, and Tico is the loser. But it's really difficult to work out actually what's going to happen there. I don't see I don't see your own being executed next round. Mainly because he's your mole. Mainly because he's my mole, yes. <laughs> so have we got anything else you want to say? We actually somehow managed to strike out quite a long episode compared to what we were expecting, I think. Uh, no, I I think I'm good. Cool. Thank you for listening to our VS Tomorrow Renaissance recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in Italy. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. We will also be back on Sunday for the first episode of Amazing Race 32. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. <laughs>